You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. We are doing the Art of Move podcast. The Art of Move is Dr. Will's personal brand of movement methodology that you, you can find him on Instagram at the art of move. Uh, and this podcast is going to dive deep into all manners of functional training of biomechanics and of just the body in general. We're going to go over different training methodologies and tell you what we think of it. We'll break down some videos and you can watch this podcast live on nofilter.net with me and Dr. Will, or you can uh, listen to the replays on Spotify and other major podcasting platforms when they become available. Uh, I'm really, really excited to start this because I've been going on a personal journey of revamping how my training has sort of looked and understanding different things about the body and biomechanics. Dr. Will has been a huge part of that. And uh, I will hear for... I'll hear for to refer to you as just Will instead of Dr. Will every time I talk about you, man. But uh, how are you doing Either today? One Either one word. So, you know, Will, like, we, we're, we're doing this podcast mostly because I feel, at least I'm doing this podcast, because I feel there's not enough discussion about uh, the realities of biomechanics within training. Uh, I think a lot of training right now is based on a methodology that moves within one plane of movement, and we don't address the actual functionality of the human body in mainstream popularized training. It's a lot of uh, sort of bodybuilding, Olympic lifting, powerlifting mentality that's sort of adapted itself. Even the term functional fitness has sort of been appropriated by the CrossFit methodology, and there's not a really clear definition of what functional fitness is, I think the art of move has a really cool opportunity to sort of bring more mainstream voice to something that isn't mainstream right now. Yeah, I think it's it's about time it's happening. Um, there's a lot of people with movement practices, and the movement practices to me are intentional pattern training, intentional movements of your joints, and seeing what happens exactly at the joint and the behavior you want from those joints. This is opposed to what's happening now, which is go to the gym, sweat hustle, um, grow the muscles. So there's a big focus on the muscles and the joints are left behind. It's all encompassing. It should be one, uh, you know, one way of going about it. Joints first, muscles second. Your joints wear down before anything else, okay? So um, training patterns and training each uh, articulation, how it's designed to move is very important. Okay, and we're missing that. Even from a young age, we kind of get off that train and go straight into lifting heavy external objects, lifting weights. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of, um, you know, I, I remember listening to guys like Elliot Hulse who talked about, you know, you shouldn't be lifting. And Elliot Hulse is like a strong man. He's, he's moving big weights. You know, he's deadlifted, you know, five, 600 pounds. And he's in that camp of, you know, heavy lifts. Uh, but he also would say to his followers that say, you know, before you can control your body in a calisthenics sort of capacity, you have no, basically before you have, before you can control your body, you have no business trying to control objects and weights outside of yourself. Is that similar to what you're saying? Or are you getting even more granular with that? Uh, 
that is that's one level of it, right? Um, in because we all come from from the lens of lifting. Okay, lifting Dude. solves everything. Okay, you go to the gym, you lift weights, that will solve your uh, problems, right? Your injury, you know, potential future injuries. The barbell is the prescription at this point, right? But really, your body just sees it as lifting external objects. But you have to be with your body 24-7. The amount that you're lifting external objects is very, very minuscule compared to you being with your body and having to move it the way it was designed to move. And we can look at the joints and say, they're designed to move this way, not this way. So let's move them more like they're designed to move. It has nothing to do with weights or anything else. Although you can use weights for some of the implementation. Okay, so in in that case, like what what role do you think if we're if we're trying to say that the the weightlifting mentality is maybe a misguided one, right? The the notion of I'm gonna just like say a handful of popular lifts would be like squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, and pull ups. Um, and what you're saying is maybe those lifts don't necessarily respect the natural function of the joint, right? The natural uh, patterning of the joint and more training is, is I mean we're problem. getting we're getting right into the nitty-gritty here right like you're yeah. um, those are the lifts that everybody does and I can come out and say don't do them but that's not the case if you want to get better at weightlifting lift mm -hmm. weights okay and there's a um, advantage to knowing how to lift you should be a master at lifting okay and know how to do it and have a uh, amazing awareness of where your body is in space as it's lifting okay all that's valuable and there is value in weightlifting but it's not intentional pattern training and it's not intentionally moving the joints as they're designed to move i'm walking and running uh or i should just say walking because everybody does that even an office worker ten thousand steps a day that's what you're doing the most the amount of times that you put a barbell on your back or heavy weight on your back and squat up and down hundreds of times in real life, it, it just doesn't happen, okay? Um, maybe in the past where the, you, you, know, you were a farmer or something, you had to lift extremely heavy weight, but now that's done with a machine, okay? So I should be able to lift a relatively heavy amount of weight and, and do it safely with an object. Like I would rather use a, you know, an Atlas stone versus a barbell mm -hmm because that's actually how I would carry a box if I'm moving it. Right. Okay? So there is value in it. I'm not saying there's not, but intentional pattern training is the key. Be better at moving, not lifting external objects. From uh, up until now, there hasn't been a solid way to look at this, I believe, okay? Because the way we look at things, as, so as a professional therapist, uh, chiropractor, you're trained to look at the studies and the studies are the truth. The consensus of the study is the truth in movement. But now people are saying, wait a second, we have slow motion. We can watch the movement happen amongst different populations. We're talking, you know, uh, elderly people, kids, pro athletes, and we can see the commonalities between those movement at every joint. Then we can perfect them and say, this movement behavior is better than this one. So let's try to train to that behavior that's better. And it's not always done with barbells. It's infrequently done with just barbells or right. dumbbells or a gym. It's looking at the joint and say, what can you do with it? And what can't you do with it? Do you have control of it? 
both dynamically and statically. Okay. So yeah, that's pretty much. So, so, so let's, let's use uh, the hips are like a pretty heavily debated complex of joints. Right. Um, and a lot of people will say, you know, squatting and deadlifting will translate to a faster sprint time, not necessarily because you're directly training the pattern of sprinting. Because if you look at the patterning of sprinting, there is that torque that happens through the upper body in the midsection. Your hips are rotating um, and it's a bilateral movement, whereas or sorry, it's a unilateral movement as opposed to a deadlift and a squat, which are bilateral movements, right? So is that like with this mentality of heavy deadlifting and heavy squatting, is that misguided? Should you train the patterning of squatting more, or uh, sorry, of sprinting more directly? Or is, is there actually a, sort of a, a benefit or a use of, of these heavy barbell movements, even so, though they're bilateral or unilateral movement? It's, that's an amazing question. And I could go on all day with that. But it, it comes down again to, are you training the pattern? A bilateral lift, you stuck to the ground, lifting with two feet, okay, versus running full tilt like this is not the same thing. Your muscles are going at different lengths. Your joints are dynamically in motion during a run. It's static when you're lifting. You're in one plane of motion the whole time. That is not what happens in reality. So there's only so much translation you can have between the two. Now, the thought process has been, let's put giant engines on athletes, okay? And yeah, if, if I get bigger glutes, I could probably put more power out of that glute. But am I rotating my hip in socket properly? So the hip and the shoulder are ball and socket technology. They must be treated like such. There is a rotation that happens in the joint. This rotation is not the same between squatting and running. This should be common sense, okay? Like, I can look at the two uh, exercises and say they are different, okay? I, I can logically look at my eyes and see that. But you know what? I was trained that the squat is king, to do assessments with the squat. So I know where that uh, thought process comes from, right? But when I, you deeper dive into it, you can actually say, hey, we can break down the mechanics of sprinting now. Uh, much more easily than before because we are relying on slow motion to actually look at it frame by frame, not just guessing with theory, okay? So on one hand, uh, the papers are good, the science is good, right? But there's problems with it. And the problem is that movement specifically, you have to actually look at it. I have to see the behavior happen in real time. The mm -hmm. only way to do that and the best way to do it, the best way to do it is slow motion, period, okay? It's not guesswork, it is reality. That's why the NFL uses it. That's why the NBA uses it. That's why tennis uses it. Our eye is not that good at seeing things. So slow motion reigns supreme. If science wants to participate in that because there's a divide right now between you know people who are saying like Gota, is saying, look at the slow motion. Scientists are like, yeah, but where's your paper? Yeah. I think the scientists literally have to adapt because of the nature of movement. Science mm -hmm. must adapt slow motion or get left in the dust. So, you, you know, you, you just you just mentioned Goda, and for people who don't know who Goda 
is GOTA is an organization uh, that stands for the greatest of all time actions or the greatest of all time athletes. And basically what, they, what they've done is they've, they've based their entire methodology around viewing slow motion footage of some of the greatest athletes who stayed injury free for most of, if not all of their career, indigenous populations whose movement is natural and untouched by sort of the, the marrings of modern society, like sitting, for you know hours a day at a desk or on a couch people who maintain their their indigenous ability to sit in a resting squat and they watch these walking crawling running patterns in slow motion and sort of determined that hey look these are the patterns that promote the most longevity in the joints the most uh sort of resilience in connective tissue and they're very controversial because a lot of them say that doing something like a deadlift would be what they call reverse gear technology as and if you're mid deadlift and you let go of the bar you're flying backwards meanwhile if you watch every slow motion video a human being is meant to travel forwards so they 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 kind of have a proprietary method of training forward locomotion as their principal means of what they call human training um, but they're controversial because they go against, you know, very popular methodologies that involve barbell training. They, like you said, they don't have scientific papers. And the limitation that I'm seeing in a lot of science and a lot of uh, exercise science in particular is that it comes from that first principles bias of lifting, of, of using external loads. And it's, it's measuring things like, you know, sprint times, but also hypertrophy and, and power output on these machines or in, in a barbell capacity and they don't take into account some of the dynamic aspects of human movement as humans were quote meant to move uh, absolutely there's a there's a lot that you said that we can go to uh, basically with goda i was i'm always looking for different movement ideas okay this is something i think about all day um very interesting to me. I've looked at functional patterns. If you don't know what that is, what I got from them is to use your sling systems, use your fascia in an elastic manner. That's great, okay? I still wasn't finding what I was looking for in terms of gait analysis. The gait analysis that's done in uh, like an academic circle is looking at how many steps you take. So cadence, how fast, how long they are, how high does your hip go? How fast does your leg drive back? Um, you know, what part of your foot hits the ground? Is it a heel or is it a forefoot? That's as far as it goes. And to me, that wasn't satisfactory. It's looking at slow motion. Um, and to be honest, they hardly even look at slow motion when they're looking at gait analysis. Mm. So as soon as I saw Goda say, no, 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 we have to bring it back to the foundation. Let's look at how their feet are uh pivoting what part of the foot they're landing on uh is the hip doing the proper motion inside the socket okay so if you start breaking movement down into its components you can see the behavior happen right in front of your eyes this is much better than anything else so goda is the first one to use slow motion that i've seen that break it down in a systematic way a checklist that says this is the behavior you should have and this isn't the behavior you should have right. then as soon as we have the proper behaviors you can start loading that behavior um which is another subject they move weight forward not up and down which is what i would do okay 
but uh, in either case, you're learning to move the, your joints and your body the way it was designed to move. And you look at yourself in slow motion and it's, if the slow motion is saying something, it's not lying. The eye in the sky never lies. The slow motion mm -hmm. is telling the truth. So that's why I think Gota is the top dog of the, you know, I guess they're not mainstream, but the underground movement. Functional training subculture. <laughs> For sure. And, and functional training could be any, everyone claims functional training, right? So uh, that's a word that's just way too loaded right now. This CrossFit functional training, bodybuilding is now functional training, uh, powerlifting is functional training, uh, gymnastics is functional training. And, and technically, you are training a function in each of those methodologies, right? Like you are training the function of muscle contraction and bodybuilding. You're training the function of force output with powerlifting. You're, you know, everything that you have, you're training, uh, you know, range of motion in gymnastics and balance in gymnastics. And these are all functions. Uh, but the question is, like, what is the, what are the native functions of human beings? And I think what are the priorities? Yeah. So if you were to define or prioritize uh, different levels of function within, because, you know, when you when you talked about what the mainstream is focused on, which is the size of the muscle, one, one of the things that you've talked about that really made me think about the body in a different way was that we have different systems. We have the muscular system, we have a respiratory system, we have a lymphatic system, we have a nervous system, we have these different systems that make up the ultimate system of the human body. So when you're thinking about prioritizing, uh, you know, different movement patterns or what would you prioritize, I guess, in a, in a more simple way to put it, what would you prioritize in functional training? Yeah, that, that depends if I, so as a therapist, I have the opportunity to see someone's history and, mm. you know, work with that, right? So they have previous injuries and we can dive into that. So that's a, a whole different story, but for the masses, if I don't have a chance to you personally okay um i would first do an assessment to see a slow motion assessment and get that done by somebody who knows what they're doing right because that'll give you uh the real reason that power is leaking through your body or why you're not working your joints properly okay and almost everybody has some sort of kink they need working worked out unless you're michael jordan okay um the priority for me is staying within what your joints are designed to do. As soon as you move out of the design, Goda would call it moving out of the math, okay? Then you're in trouble. So an easy example is where are you putting pressure on your foot to take off? So as soon as I pretend this is my big toe, pretend this is my pinky, right? If I'm taking off from this, if I'm going like this and pressing into the ground and taking off like this, then it's going to be a problem at my ankle, problem at my knee, problem at my hip, times that by 10,000 every single day, and you have yourself a major issue over a period of years, okay? Just from moving outside of how the joints were designed to move. Go to, and uh, this is what I believe now, is you can take the foot and the ankle, and you have to get those right, because if those aren't right, you're starting, and that's what hits the earth first. If you right. don't get those right, then the rest can't be right, okay? And that's just looking at it from one end because you can look at it from the other end as well, which is the spine moving, okay? 
Does the spine move correctly as you're walking? And that's tilting from side to side, which again, doesn't jive with mainstream theory, with the scientific theory on this one, because the scientific theory, and you can Google this, is the spine is a passive column. It's supposed to stay dead straight and it's just going along for the ride. Not well, and that's, that's sort of when you do a lot of barbell training, it's like the neutral spine, the brace, the core, you know, what, any, any powerlifting movement with a deadlift, it's like you're not supposed to have any flexion or extension, let alone, you know, rotation or torque while you're, while you're doing a deadlift, right? And, and that's a great example because that's, everything has to be looked at because when you have a hammer, everything's a nail. So in my past, let's say five years ago, you'd ask me that same question, right? Or, or bring upon that same thought. I would look at, in my brain, I'd go, okay, what can the barbell do to fix this? Okay, versus look at the particular joint and see the behavior at the joint. So again, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail. The barbell will fix everything. And that's just not the case. The behavior has to be specific. If you don't have the right behavior, if it's outside the math, or just call it, um, if your energy is leaking from a joint because it's not in the right angle, it's mm -hmm. going to be a problem up the chain. So you want your movement to be perfect first. And then, and within the math, okay, and we'll define what that is later, but stay in the proper planes of motion and your joints will reap the benefit of having the connective tissue in a state where it doesn't break down. Mm. That's basically well, it. So I find this really interesting, right? Because Goda's sort of central topic seems to be, it's like pattern yourself with the right biomechanics, essentially, like yeah. their, their quote within the math, they have this like sort of Fibonacci idea that your foot spirals and your hip spiral and your body spirals and everything spirals in this sort of predictable way. And if you do that, you have less tissue damage. And one of the main criticisms that I've heard about this is that, well, that's great. That's ideal. But in life, say if you're running on an uneven surface, you're not going to be able to maintain an inside ankle bone high position, which is one of their positions that they say is like ideal. Sometimes your foot will flex in and you will have a, a you know, an alternate sort of like you basically, this is, this is an, that, what's that? They don't deny that though. No. And I find, I find that interesting, right? Like there's, there's so, so the ground up idea of like, you start with your feet. I studied with the athletic truth group for a while, which is like Ben Patrick, who's needs over toes guy. If you want a more popular uh, tagline. And one of his things was, you know, he wanted to build knee resiliency because he had these knee uh, surgeries and his first line of defense when he was helping people rehab these horrible knee issues where they couldn't run, they could barely walk. Um, he would get people to do tibialis raises. He says, you know, basically if you have a strong tibialis, which is the front part of your shin, then you can absorb more impact. That's your, he said, he called it the first line of defense too, right? It's the first thing that hits the ground. So if you have strong tibialis, strong calves, then those muscles and those tendons are going to absorb that force more effectively. And I found that was pretty interesting. I did, I did that methodology for uh, close to eight months. You know, I did some, I did um, Lucas Aaron's range of strength training. And then I did about six months of Ben Patrick's different programs. Well, how about we do this? I, I challenge the, like, I, I like debating, right? Cause that's how yeah. ideas get through. There's no, um, 
I'm going to challenge your ideas with this. Okay. So yeah. You probably know more about this system than me, although I've looked at quite a bit of it online. Okay. So, um, is ATG what you're mentioning, the systems, where they say, um, you know, you have to have the ankle range of motion and tibialis is going to stop uh, your foot from coming down. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Um, the burden of proof is on them to, to to say that that's true. If they want, if you want to put uh, burdens of proof on Agoda, you also have to do it onto other methodologies as well. Um, it's harder to do when you're hot. Ben Patrick is hot right now. Nobody would challenge the system in the right mind. Okay, that's outside the, uh, you know, the fitness world. Okay, or the um, club, I guess you can say. So, my uh, view on it is, is, are they in a rotary mentality? Do they acknowledge that the foot is supposed to hit the outside edge and the heel is supposed to turn away as a pivot when you hit the ground? Is that a thing that they talk about? So, you know, this is, I, I do recognize there's a lot of limitations within the ATG system, which is fundamentally why it stops doing it. I kind of, you know, I, I wanted to absorb as much as I could from them and then explore other methodologies because they're very, I find any, any uh, system <laughs> that, that, you know, becomes a system fundamentally has limitations because it only looks within the system typically. Yeah. Right, and so ATG's sort of uh, core idea, as far as I understood, was develop strength through range and condition your tendons and your ligaments yeah. and and your mus muscular system. So they're, they're training the tendinal system. They're training range of motion and strength within different ranges, so that you would have resilience when your body was eventually pushed into. Now, did they talk about specific running biomechanics? Uh, no, they were very joint isolation focused. So like FRC functional range edition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, okay. very, and, very. And you know what? I do do that type of training as well. Okay. Very little of it, but I do. I understand the value of making your tendons stronger, more resilient. And you can, just like anything else, progressively overload the tendon, which is what they're doing. Okay. And making the tissue stronger. That is great. I do that in rehab. But are they respecting the math? Are they respecting the rotary system? Are they respecting the spinal engine as you move? From the maneuvers I've seen them do, they don't. So that is my criticism of the system. They're not embracing the what we see in the slow motion, okay, for the most part. Now, uh, with within the ATG system, I see that there's uh, – you know, a big emphasis on the end range of your muscles. Like, let's say they're doing the pec, they're going to go to the end range and like really work that end range. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. Like that's great stuff. You're going to work your tissues much like a functional range conditioning. You're going to strengthen your tissues in the end range. All that is, is gravy. But if you don't respect the math, if you're landing inside ankle bone low, if you're dumping in on the inside of your foot, you're building a faulty foundation. Let's say you're going to be able to mitigate the problems a little longer, but the problem's still going to come. Okay. Um, and that is my assertion there. I can't prove it with uh, any science. Okay. But I'm looking at the systems 
And I believe the spinal engine, the fact that your spine moves from side to side to be true. What uh, ATG does not embrace this, not from what I've seen. Neither does FRC, neither does uh, functional patterns does now. Um, the only ones that I see embracing it are WEC method, functional patterns, and Goda. Well, because I think WEC method, those, those three systems, those three systems that you talked about are the only ones that are thinking in terms of a, a movement patterning approach as opposed to, uh, you know, like a strengthening approach, right? And, and the strengthening approach typically happens within a sagittal plane, right? So that, that box movement, like you said, it's like when you're asking, well, does Ben Patrick respect the fact that, you know, we have to keep the inside ankle bone high and we pivot off and we kind of do that spiral movement on the foot? No, he's doing lunges. He's doing long lunges coming up onto the toe and he's not thinking about the angle of his foot when he comes forward. He's not talking about any of that essentially. Um, and it's interesting because I, I knew the ATG system pretty well after about six months of, of studying it and being part of their, their group and, and looking at their programs. And then I, I got really into GOTA and I got really into uh, those things. And I tried to combine the two methods and it was really, really interesting. I actually found that with the ATG system, my knees, when I was doing other basic movements, started to hurt. And I was like, well, isn't the whole point to have knee resiliency? And and so I, I was like, well, that's really weird. But then I, I kind of like watched back videos of when I was doing some of this method. And I was like, okay, if the GOTA guys are right, then everything that I'm doing should be causing tissue degeneration as well. Even if I'm strengthening, I didn't have any pain in the in the ranges that I was training. But then when I was doing other things, it was like, why do I, why do my knees kind of hurt when I'm walking around? You know, yes. like I've never experienced this before. Like I'm super strong in these end ranges, but my knees kind of hurt when I'm walking around. Tell me, tell me if this is uh, the case. If you were to, because uh, I know in ATG or this is how I think it works, you kind of get a coach when you, you know, sign up for it and you can ask them questions. Is that true? Not really. Not really. So, so the way the ATG system works, I was doing ATG for coaches. Yeah. So because I wanted to learn how I could train other people in the methodology and I wanted to hear what results other coaches were getting, um, basically what it is is they teach you the methods and why they work. And you go through the programs yourself. And once you reach a certain level of proficiency within the certain program, then you progress to the next program and you take their lessons and they have a very rich library of different information about their training methodology. The thing that I was most excited for about the ATG system was to learn some of the physiological reasons why their method worked and they didn't have any. And that was the thing that kind of disappointed me the most was they, you know, they, they talked about tendinal training and ligament training, but they didn't talk much about kinesiology or biomechanics or any of that in any of their lessons. As far as I understood, it was very, very minimal information and more just saying, hey, do this and this is the result you'll get. Right. And, so I, and I think there's a common sense there, though, that like if you load a tissue and just keep progressively loading it, the specific adaptation to impose demands, which is a biological principle that everybody kind of adheres to. You'll hear Naughty Aguilar say it all the time. And it's true. Your body specifically adapts to what you do. So if you slowly get to that range, you know, I'm going to give you a specific example when you're uh, doing that uh, board uh, descend, you know, the single leg squat descend on the board yeah. where you're working yeah. your knee. If you go down by a millimeter every day, you sh should be able to progress to go further down in their system, right? 
But again, it's not respecting the math. It's like, if you're supposed to be training inside ankle bone high and having the weight on the outside of your foot, the strong side, that takes priority over going lower and lower. Now, just like FRC, functional range conditioning, which most athletes know, taking a joint to the end range and working articulations, like I always do this with my shoulder, just to get some fluid in there, okay? Yeah. And that's great yeah. stuff. That's keeping the joint as a baseline uh, healthy, okay? But I think it's taken to another level where you can have better outcomes and prioritize other things for better gains. And the gains are intentional movement patterns that you can have for the rest of your life. Right. Barbell okay. training ends, strength training ends, Olympic lifting ends, powerlifting ends at some point in your 50s, okay? No matter how much you want to do it, and you have those anomalies every once in a while, yeah. but for the most part, people are done with it because they can't keep going. Go to and intentional training of your joints can happen till the day you die. And you in can theory, make gains. In theory, right? Like we haven't, we haven't seen, it hasn't been around long enough to see but, the, you know, the 80, 90 year old people. We can watch the 80 or 90 year olds move in the track and field world championships. And you can like, I've spent enough time watching down the street right now, the people who are walking well. So this is anecdotal, but I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing, okay, that your endurance durable if you're goda. Like my dad's a, a truck driver. He's extremely goda. And he like doesn't have any of the ailments that any truck driver had. And he was a truck driver for 35 years. And I, I always wondered, I'm like, okay, this guy never hit the gym. He's doing a seated job and he can move really well. I'm like, what is going on? And then I looked at him uh, with a different lens and I'm like, oh, he's walking Goda. He's, he's like in, endurance durable. He's almost 70, never worked out, played sports. And I, I remember him climbing trees when I was, when he was in his fifties mm -hmm. and Okay, I see, I see the pattern, and I'm seeing it all over the place now. So I can't deny it. So one of the groundwork things that I'd like to do for people listening is kind of set the foundation for what the joints are kind of meant to do. Right now, I, uh, I have the long head tendon of my bicep torn, and I actually am going to need surgery for that in, in the next three months uh, because I tore, my, you know, I tore my bicep tendon right out of my labrum doing an, an olympic lift so a snatch so that internal rotation overhead position like rip my bicep tendon i need surgery for it now right so so this was sort of what sent me on that personal path to figure out okay well what's the actual function of the shoulder joint because it's obviously not to rip a ton of weight in this like incredibly internally rotated position to externally and lock it out overhead like some people can develop again a lot of the end range training that I was doing it, was so that I could, that, but it's not its primary function. No, right? It's, it's not. It's not. Yet. It's not fundamentally meant to do that necessarily, right? So, what I what I'd like to do with you quickly is to go through each of the joints and kind of talk about what are the what are the natural function. I know functional patterns. We talked about Naudi Aguilar a little bit. He says the functional patterns big four are standing, walking, running, and throwing. I'd agree right? with that. Which is instead of squatting, pressing, pulling, and hinging, right? Like that's that that's like so that's so that's you have gym culture, which are the yeah. primary movements: press, pull, squat, hinge. And now he's saying functional patterns is saying stand, walk, run, so, throw. So think about this: your intention 
as somebody who says the primary functions are hinging, squatting, lunging, and uh, pulling, pushing. Those are simple movements. So if you master them, you're mastering simple movements. You will get simple movements in real life. If you want to be someone who can hinge really well with heavy weight, do that. But we're talking if running, throwing, uh, sprinting, I would even put cutting into that mm. because sprinting straight line is much different than moving in three dimensions. Okay. So I wouldn't exactly make the standard straight line running, but it's, that's the easiest way to assess it. Okay. Mm. Actually, let's go back to your shoulder example and see mm. what each of the systems would say about that shoulder and where I agree and disagree with it. Okay. Right. So you're coming overhead, you're going like that. Okay, those shoulders flipping up like this. Now, in, in my uh, reality, okay, if I'm going to go punch, because striking is one of the um, things that I would say is prioritizing. It's a lot like throwing. So grasping, striking, and throwing are the shoulder motions that I would say were designed to do most. Okay, mm -hmm. and running. Like running, as I'm running, my shoulder's moving as well. Okay, yeah. so that's four functions we've, we've seen. Now, when you're going overhead like this, is it respecting the fact that uh, usually you're turning your body as you're moving your shoulder? So what I'm saying is if I go overhead, I'd want to turn my body to go with it. There's mm -hmm. always that motion. When I go to grab something, I'm never like this. Right. Ever in real life. But we're doing it in Olympic lifting. So mm -hmm. it's missing the fact that there can be a rotation within the shoulder as you're lifting. Goto would say that. You're missing the corner. You're not cornering. You don't corner enough, and corner is where it takes a turn. My shoulder's turning. So when I'm striking, I'm cornering every time. That's why you rarely see martial artists hurt their shoulder, even though they're striking thousands and thousands and thousands, hundred thousand times. Because there's that rotation within the movement. So I'm almost doing a, the opposite or the wrong type of rotation in a snatch. And I mean, I can, I can even feel it in this shoulder that I need surgery on. When I come up here, it clicks when I when I transition from the, those positions. I can actually feel where the bicep tendon tore in that okay. position. So FRC, functional range conditioning, which is another popular one. And I want to talk deep here, right? So we're going to go for the audience that uh, is deep into this. Functional range conditioning would say, wait a second, you don't have any business going overhead in a snatch if you can't slowly articulate your joint in its range of motion in a slow and controlled manner. Since you didn't assess that on yourself probably, then you have no business going overhead at speed. Okay, mm. and this applies to most people. Most people's shoulders are kind of messed up. Okay, I know that from a therapist seeing thousands of patients. Now, it's not respecting the cornering according to GOTA. Functional range conditioning says, uh, we don't really care about the cornering or we don't even know about the cornering. Right. Okay, just make sure the joint articulates in its socket. I it's think like I was sitting there and I was training like with a with a dumbbell and I'm doing those external rotations. Maybe I have a band and I'm training my external rotation yeah. and I'm slowly articulating that joint sure. over time that I can condition that joint to be able to be resilient enough to do that pattern. That that's a rehab theory right there. Right. Right? That's a that's to me that's very basic. It's yeah. like that would go, that's like me doing this. I do this you know, 20 times a day just to get the fluid in the shoulder, that's about as much, uh, you know, importance that I put on it. 
I'm worried about my behavior. As I move, I'm supposed to corner the shoulder. The shoulder has to corner. My rotation of my thoracic spine has to go. The scapula has to go, the shoulder blade, and the ball has to go in the socket. And that's the type of behavior I want. Circular mm -hmm. patterns. Doesn't you wear down your joints. Uh, what, what you're doing there looks like almost like a swimming, like a front crawl swimming stroke where you insert and then straighten try, up. Try to swim with this type of motion. <laughs> you don't even want to do this. Okay, this is the, like a dancer. Imagine a dancer doing this. You always bring in rhythm. A boxer, a boxer never goes like this. It's always in rhythm, movement. The corner of the shoulder is very important. It has mm -hmm. to go around. So it doesn't matter what you want. It's what the right. shoulder is designed to do. If you gotcha. want to go gotcha. overhead period or like over and over and over again in a snatch, your shoulder is going to wear down. Sorry, mm -hmm. maybe snatch. Um, because you're in a sport, okay? The sport dictates that that's the parameters of what you have to do. However, if I'm an amateur, I say, hey, you know what? Instead of a snatch, I'm going to do a dumbbell and press it up overhead with the corner. Instead of doing a, a, a barbell bench press, which is the same problem, you're anchoring your thoracic spine and the shoulder's taking all the, the heat and your, you know, a collarbone and, and all that. I used to bench a lot. I have a lot of problems in the joints here, which I've learned to mitigate, but ask me three years ago, I'd have inflammation all over the place, mm -hmm. bench pressing in the upper threes, right? I used to be into powerlifting. Basically, I forgot to corner my shoulder. So if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be a movement with that in mind. Okay. Not this. Yeah. You're not working. You're not working in this fixed range of motion that doesn't respect the fact that our our upper body has to rotate. And then that when people say, okay, so for people who are just listening, we're, we're giving visual demonstrations on the platform right now where you can, where you can actually see us moving. But the idea of cornering would be rather than kind of moving in a straight line, your fist sort of rotates as you, so, so come into the position of a bench press if you want to try this for yourself uh, and, and sort of, twist your fists so that they face up in that in that bottom position if you press forward you're rotating your fists in and that sort of emulates a sort of cornering action within your shoulder joint when we say corner it's almost like a rotation as you press yes it's a rotation of not only the shoulder but a coordination of the thoracic spine uh and and we can go down the chain because it really starts at your foot but you'll see it happen at the thoracic spine, at the scapula, the shoulder blade, and at the actual shoulder joint itself. When those are in harmony and in synchronicity, that's when your shoulder will not take any load. But again, it's the math. It's how you have to respect the joint because that's how it's designed to move in full reality 3D. You can see the complex movements I do on, you know, on Instagram and all that, and they respect this pattern. That's why I'm not getting hurt. I was always hurt when I was bench pressed, but when I bench pressed and when I did heavy weights, because I didn't know about these principles, I didn't have it all together and I was working off the wrong math. Right. Okay? Um, now that, that also on a higher level, there is elasticities to the joints. So your pec, let's say as an easy example, although again, the sling systems, the elasticity of your muscles, isn't a singular muscle thing, it's a full body thing. So imagine you have an elastic 
uh, across your whole body and your joints actually work in that elasticity. So your brain has to coordinate how much elasticity your tissues have and have an understanding of that. Kinesthetic understanding between your brain and your muscles and fascia of how much stretch you have at the joint. Then you can maximally use those joints as catapults if you know what, what to do. But again, that's a higher level of training. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting because like No Filter Network, which we're doing this podcast on, is a really popular platform for a lot of baseball guys. And I know baseball is one of the most go-to sport, uh, like sort of go-to observed sport. You think about the swing, you think about the throw. Uh, whipping a baseball halfway down a, a baseball field is an example of that pec elasticity and that function of, of throwing. Uh, and then you're sprinting from one base to another, like every movement that they do fundamentally, if you want to maximize your efficiency at that sport, you have to, you basically have to operate within these functions of elasticity and, and joint resilience. Uh, absolutely. And the, uh, people understand slow motion in football and baseball because people are obsessed with their swings and, and golf as well. People are obsessed with their swings. They want them better. Okay. They already know to go to the slow motion. They're like, uh, does, a, does a baseball player go, okay, I'm going to brace my core right before I hit the ball, and that'll make me hit it the farthest. And that theoretical paper that came out from the science world, I'm going to swing like that. Or do they go to the slow motion and hit and then feel, hit and feel, hit and feel. And then when they get the right feel with the right motion, kinesthetic intelligence, okay, not so much, uh, you know, intellect IQ, although there is that as well. But yeah. feeling IQ, mm. that's when they are in sync, in rhythm, and that's the essence of, you know, GOTA and looking at slow motion as the number one thing to look at. Well, it's funny, too. We had, uh, we had four uh, former MLB players on a couple of nights ago. We had uh, Will Clark, we had Eric Burns, we had Kevin Euclid and Johnny Gomez. And they basically took turns doing exactly that they were like yeah you know i would i would angle my shoulder like this way and then that way i would i could i could lower my shoulder into the palm you're showing a spiral pattern right now for anybody exactly. who's not into the uh you know it, sorry listening to the podcast yeah so so and they, and they broke it down into how they could maximize the and you know for me watching and listening to these guys and like they're literally talking about how they maximize the efficiency of their spiral pattern in their swing and, and being able to see it from, I would love for us to get Will Clark on this podcast, for example, cause he'll do, um, he'll do full demonstrations in his garage about his swing and you watch him and it's like, he's literally showing you how to maximize the efficiency and follow through of this particular spiral pattern. I would actually love to, to do that. That So here's the thing, if the movement's true, there's like, there's no hiding anything, right? We can actually go. That's the great thing about looking at slow motion and, and go to in general is that, and, and, you know, Weck method does this too. So I'll, I'll give them credit. Cause I like, I like David Weck and, you know, um, so basically looking at the slow motion and retrying what you did, you know what I mean? That's what I do when I'm learning martial arts, I'll mm. literally slow motion, the martial artist, uh, in boxing, I slow motion Mayweather all the time, Canelo, um, Lomachenko's footwork, I integrated into my own footwork. 
because I look at the slow motion, I see the behavior and I just copy it. If you can move like Michael Jordan, you're now moving like Michael Jordan. It's the truth. You now move like him, but you can't because his movement's amazing. But you should be trying to move like Michael Jordan. That should be your, instead of a 405 bench or a 500 squat, you should be trying to move like Michael Jordan. Because in reality, if you can move like Michael Jordan, you are now athletic and you're going to be skipping down the street. You're going to be walking with sway. You're going to be able to move at any point. I can get up right now, like from asleep, and I can go sprint. No problem. Okay. No stretching. Right. It's like cat stretching. You know, like I do a little bit of the, you know, uh, FRC style training where you train the injury position, but I'm talking like 1% of the time. For the most part, I'm trying to keep the behaviors clean as possible in both my nervous system and my a musculoskeletal system and yeah. joint, keep the movement clean, get the pattern right, and you will reap the benefit. So I'm gonna talk in terms a little bit of how people periodize their training, right? Because I know in, in, you know, I come from the powerlifting background of you would set up different training blocks to, to hit certain performance markers and you would cycle through your, your, your performance. And uh, one of the things that I, sort of had an issue with when adapting some of the more functional pattern orienting training to my actual physical training as in like my metabolic conditioning my strength conditioning uh was uh once i have these patterns down well how do i program them into an effective training methodology um what percentage because you said you know there you also don't want to throw away some strength training for example it's like okay maybe i'm lifting a sandbag or i'm lifting an atlas stone or maybe i'm still lifting so that i can master lifting so i can lift safely in real life maybe i'm you know doing some running because my patterning is good enough and and running is the most natural way for us to condition our movement or, right. or um or move to, to condition ourselves in terms of cardiovascular capacity, right? As opposed to, you know, sitting hunched over on a bike or, or, you know, getting on an elliptical machine, right? Um, so if you were, if you were to, again, we're talking in terms of priorities, um, not even necessarily in sets and reps and stuff, like how would you prioritize training once, like we'll, we'll do three levels. If someone's an absolute beginner and has pretty poor biomechanics, once someone has pretty decent biomechanics and can start loading them, and then someone who wants to be a train at the highest level of athleticism, how would you, how would you program? Man, that's people? a loaded question, but let's, I'll, I'll give you the, the general way. Somebody comes in, I see this all the time at the office, like uh, patients. Um, I, I try to see where their awareness is in their body. Okay. Mm. Some people are completely uh, turned off of their body. Like, the brain and the uh, parts of the body are not connecting, right? So that has to be first. That's where FRC style, like um, movement of specific motion. So let's take the hip, for example. Um, I'll move the hip in isolation. For those watching, I can do something like this. I'm moving my hip back and forth. Okay, you can see this on my YouTube channel, but I'll isolate the hips. I'll isolate the lumbar spine, thoracic spine, then cervical spine. I'll make sure they can do all the motions of those uh, joints uh, in every plane in a static way, just standing there. Can you do it? And then that progresses to a bent level because that makes it harder to move all those joints. Once you get that, you'll have a baseline understanding of how to move, you know, 
at least the spine and the hips. Okay, that's where I would start with an older person who isn't trained, who has no awareness of their body. But now I'm saying, yeah, I'll do that too. But I like the basic go to positions of bow and corner, standing in the bow and corner and just feeling it out for 30 seconds. I think this is going to give more of a benefit than the FRC style training for like 20 minutes. You know, if I can give a person a, a, the understanding of a basic position where you're aligned, your hips are working in the, in the way they're, they're designed to do, and I can get you to stand like that for 30 seconds, uh, five times a day, I'd rather do that than isolate the joint. Okay. At this well, point. I just, so that's what I would and do. I want to I can give an example too. So, so I, I still coach at the CrossFit gym a couple times a yeah. week and I started throwing in some of these, these quote bow and corner movements yeah. uh, as part of the warm up. So these people will come in, I'll be like, how's everyone feeling today? And they're like, oh, we're sore. We got really tight hamstrings, really tight glutes. Our lower backs are super sore. But like, okay, cool. Let's do some warm up. And what I'll get them to do is just a little bit of locomotion where I'll say, all right, start with your feet hip distance apart. Take a step forward as if you were going to just walk. Now from here, put the weight in your last two toes, your pinky toe and your ring toe, and lift your heel off the ground slightly. Rotate your knee out ever so slightly and turn your back, and now lean forward slightly so that you're in your posterior chain. Now yeah. I'll just hold that for a second and then take a step forward. And I'll do that back and forth to and fro from the gym. And sometimes I'll increase the range of motion. Maybe I'll get them to go in that position and reach for their knee or their shin so that it's stretching out in that position a little bit. They're loading that yeah. bow a little bit more. Yeah, but getting them to learn on two or three yeah. lengths of that, and all their pain is gone. Like just from doing that. Very interesting. Um, the only thing, like where I just saw what you did with the bow, don't mm. stick your knee out first. You want to do it from the hip. So the knee right. and the solar plexus should be pointing in the same direction. Yeah, I want to redo it. I would do the hip first, and that's why the knee points out, not because you rotate at right. the knee. You know what I mean? So it should be hip dominant. If I, if I rotate my hip, then my knee actually falls. Yes. Yeah. So what yeah. you're saying is I was leading with my knee first and then following with my hip. Exactly. I want to do it reverse. So if I turn my hip, yeah. now I'm in the position. Exactly. And then I yep, and if you, exactly, exactly. That's that looks great, right? And that's respecting what happens at the joints when you actually walk. Ideally, okay. Mm. It's hard for me to believe that the you know if you watch somebody walk duck foot down the street, mm. okay, which is almost everybody to some degree. Hardly anybody has straight feet. We're talking you know eighty percent of the population is somewhat. Of walking on the outside of their feet right now um yeah somewhat like that even even bring them in a little bit um yeah so people are, are a lot like that right and they're doing that so when you look your heels pointed in like if i was to draw a line from your heel they would cross like an x now the problem is that the bone your shin so point at your shin right now your shins are pointed outwards when you're taking off from a run, the femur has to rotate inwards, right? So as the femur, no, no, no. So like on your takeoff leg, 
Your femur right. has to rotate in. No, so funny. I've patterned, I've patterned it so much that I can't even do it the wrong way now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm talking about is this: you can't have your femur internally rotating and your yeah. uh, tibia and fibula externally rotating. They're going the opposite direction, and that's yeah. going to cause torque at the knee, and you're going to have a problem eventually. Not a massive problem when you know you're not doing any. You're sedentary and you're you're doing like five thousand steps a day. Not great, but the wear and tear will take a little longer, but it's going to happen. You have to stay within the math. Your feet, outside edge, go inside ankle bone high and outside edge now. Yeah, no, just in like a, a stance. You can see that that's much better. It's, it's bowed, and I would go even more ankle bone high if you can. Yeah, so that, that looks a lot better. If you walk like that and stay within that code, yeah, or stay within that plane, your hips and knees will thank you. It's very simple, right? Um, simple yet hard because you actually have to change the behavior. Yeah, like you can just hold this position. Like I'm, I'm literally just, I'm, I'm keeping my feet straight, lifting, putting all the weight in my last two toes, my pinky toe and my ring toe, and then leaning forward just slightly so that I have a little bit more what they call back chain dominance. So it's more forward moving motion i'm just doing this and my legs are shaking you know like you can, you can train in isolation and that's that's incredible training for your body you're, you're building the resilience of that pattern right the simplicity of intentional movement training moving your joints uh, uh intentionally and working the patterns of locomotion of walking and running have your femur spin the proper way as you walk is the training it's very simple it's so simple that it's almost laughable okay mm. because think about this as you're squatting okay um let's see if i can if i can get myself on camera here and actually squat down a little bit so what i'm saying here sorry my camera is if i can get that down there Okay, so can't see that yet, eh? Try one more Maybe time. Oh, you could, but okay, there we go. There we go. Okay. So um if I'm if I'm squatting, right? And I'm doing that squat where I come down, and I'll even do it on top of the, the couch here so you can really see. I'm coming down, both my knees are out. Okay, that's the cue that people train is that knees out position. The problem is as I'm coming out, my knees are still out. So I'm not mm -hmm. outletting that energy from a turn, okay? Where I'm actually, if I'm walking or running, the hip is coming around the corner. So right. similar problem to the bench press, okay? Or the Olympic lift where everything's staying static here. There's no rotation of the pelvis as I'm doing that up and down squat, okay? So I'm going to have those problems of the hip. So I'm staying in a bow the whole time. I'm staying with my knees outside the whole time when in fact they're right. supposed to spin in as I move. So I'm only doing one of the motions, the bow, if I'm squatting. I need to pivot as well. And that is the second part of the movement that's missing in the squat. So you'll, you actually, see it. Sorry, you you'll actually see it quite a bit in actual Olympic lifters. You know when they go like this and they're lifting heavy and at the bottom they go, like this with yeah. The yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're trying to, they're trying to corner, right? So 
Well, that's the corner naturally happening, the gait cycle naturally happening in the squat. And people, the question has always been, is it more important to keep the knees out? Like, why are the knees coming in? We don't want this, right? Yeah, you don't when you lift, but you do when you are walk and run. So, it's so if, you're, if you're going to take, if you're going to take the squat pattern, I'm going to I'm going to do a, a demo, in, and I'll just show you. If in theory, could you do a bow to a corner squat? I'm using, I'll use the wall. So I'll, I'll come down. Can you like those are these out? As I come up, can I corner? And then that's absolutely. So this is more. Absolutely. That's that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You see my heels come out because I'm cornering in, right? I'm yes. cornering from an externally rotated position to an internally rotated position as I come up. That would be that would be what happens in the gait cycle, right? So if right. you're gait cycle training, if you're training to walk and run, that's what you would do because that's the motion that happens as you walk and run. Now, right. I would say within the columns, meaning that uh, basically your hip and your knee, or sorry, your hip and your ankle should be in alignment pretty much all the time, whether that be you leaning forward because you're running or you're standing straight up, they're on top of each other. And they're two ball and socket, although the ankle is a little bit more complex, let's pretend they're doing this on top of each other. So mm -hmm. this is the ankle, this is the hip, they're both doing this and in between the knee is being, you know, moved from side to side, but it's not actually so much doing the rotation itself. It's going along for the ride. So you have to have the proper behavior at the hip and the mm -hmm. ankle, the knee will thank you later. Okay. Now that is staying on the outside edge of your foot, inside ankle bone high, finish with the outside or sorry, with the heel away as you run. These are indicators that you're doing the outletting of the energy properly. Mm. Okay. I'd love to hear an argument. I'd love to debate somebody who says your heel should spin in as you go forward. I don't think anyone's going to take that position. No, I don't but think so. Nobody wants to take the position other than Gota that the heel goes out as you move. Even Weck right. Method, even Naudi, they're not doing it. So props to Gota for that because I think they're correct. Prove me wrong. And so when he's when he's so so basically when you're talking about uh, having your heel come away, the foot will come down onto the ground, spiral off the pinky toe edge rotate off and then the heel turns out as the hip internally rotates as you step. It's a rotary system, okay? So it's actually not the toes that touch. The toes no, really no, are no. there for I'm just, I'm just using, it's more the side, right? Yeah, but for, for the people listening, right? Um, imagine my hand is the foot. This is like, to me, I feel a boomerang come around. If my foot was the palm, it's coming in towards the, uh, you know, the middle finger. And then I'm pivoting with my foot and that's the heel turning away. So it hits the ground and it pivots like this. This is the flow here. Pretend that my uh, wrist is the ankle bone. I want to keep that up high where the, the system now, the mainstream fitness knowledge, or I should say biomechanics knowledge says, doesn't acknowledge that it's a pivot. It acknowledges only that it's a down system like this. And that right. the big toe coming off last, is the windless mechanism basically mm. your uh, um, arch becoming like a dome and using that spring technology or that spring yeah. to propel you 
When Goda's saying, no, 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 actually it's the pivot point system, you still get the windless mechanism off the uh, plantar fascia, but it's not right. done off the big toe, it's done from a pivot point using the energy to flow like this. I picture a boomerang when I'm moving, coming off yeah. my foot, and that's what it feels like. So the heel away, hmm. where does that movement, where does that pivot originate from? Because when I started doing it, I started internally rotating my leg, but then it didn't, that didn't feel right. So I started twisting more from my, pivoting my hips from my spine more, that started to feel more natural. So is it, is it an internal rotation or more no. from the hips? There is a re internal rotation of the hip that happens because your foot is doing this motion here, that spiral type of motion, if you hit inside ankle bone high, if you're uh, following the checklist off the fourth and fifth metatarsal, really, I'd say it's probably, you know, you're pivoting off the third or second, ideally, sometimes mm -hmm. a dump in, that's fine. But for the most part, you want to keep that inside ankle bone high. You want to pivot around that fourth and fifth into that third metatarsal. I, I might be, you can debate me and go to people on that. And uh, the uh, uh, heel will naturally turn away and the bones will go with it. The tibia and fibula will go and the femur will both internally rotate and that's how you do it. If you try to do it from just your hip, you're missing half the picture, but at the start, you might have to do that. It's kind of like for me in boxing, when I teach it, I teach people to pivot overly dramatic so that I could be like, yeah, two weeks later, stop being so overly dramatic. Now you got it. Okay. So I think there's an element to that in teaching it. But in reality, if you step properly, you just feel it. Yeah. So for people who are listening, Will and I are recording this podcast on No Filter Network, which is a live interactive streaming platform where people can ask questions in the chat. They can hit a button uh, to knock. So if they ever wanted to come on and have their biomechanics assessed by us live, and to have little cues to how, how they could fix their movement patterning, that's always an option. So if you ever want to watch these podcasts live, go to www.nofilter.net and go check out. We have a few people who are watching live right now. So if they have any questions, they can literally type them in the box or hit the knock button to join the stream and have their movement assessed, which is the coolest feature on here. Um, and the reason that we want to do that is so that we're not just talking about movement, we're actually helping people move in real time which is yeah. really sweet. Uh, I think another reason that we're doing this podcast too, and the reason that we're hammering so hard on the nuances of where your foot hits the fucking ground, uh, you know, is because if you master these, these biomechanical nuances, if you, if you, the basic patterning of, of human movement, everything else becomes easier. You experience less pain in your body. You experience movement efficiency. It becomes easier to train for higher power output, higher cardiovascular output. At least that's been my experience. It's been the experience of a lot of other people who have trained in methods like Goda, Weck method, et cetera. And, uh, and what we're really looking for, I think, a grand unified theory of movement rather than just ascribing to a singular system. We're just trying to figure out how the human body is meant to work. And then once we know that, how do we train it to be even better? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, uh, for me, this is all up for discussion, debate, whatever, right? Like if I, there's a lot of nuances to the points that we're saying, and we're working off almost a new paradigm. I would say Goda is a new paradigm in movement. So there's going to be a lot of misinterpretation firing back and forth because the brain, if you asked me five years ago, I would 
come from the lens of functional movement being lifting. And I, I don't understand anything else. What are you talking about? It's like the, the cure is the barbell, like, of course, right? So there's going to be a lot of misinterpretation and, and that's fine. Ask questions, get clarified. I'd love to clarify it. So, um, and open for debate. And that, that's the intention over time. We're going to, we're going to bring more and more movement methods into question. We're going to look at more videos and break things down so that you can see them in more detail so things make more sense. Um, if you have topics that you want to hear covered, uh, shoot us a message. You can find Will at, at the art of move on Instagram. You can also find me at media at nofilter.net if you want to send me a personal message. If you're watching this on Spotify, there will always be a question option where you can ask your own questions. You can give your own input. We have polls that you can answer. And as always, if you watch these on nofilter.net live, you'll be able to ask your questions live. You'll be able to knock into the room, et cetera. So in terms of a big takeaway from today's episode, we covered a lot of ground. We kind of talked about how, uh, you know, the barbell is a tool that was mostly used for strengthening muscles and that must, you know, the muscular system is one system of many within the body to shift away from a traditional paradigm of training into a paradigm where you're focusing more on training specific patterns that honor the natural biomechanics of the human body, it does require a huge mental shift. And we covered a lot of the nuances of that mental shift and of the biomechanical shift away from you know just trying to strengthen the muscle to trying to get your patterning correct. We talked about the spiral motion of the body where the foot has to land and how it should pivot in order to have uh, sort of a biomechanically sound gait. And so if you wanted people to walk away with one major aha moment, one major insight from all the things that we covered today, what would you say people should walk away with today? Uh, looking at training in the way of intentionally training the patterns and the joints to move how nature designed them not so much just lifting to make the muscle bigger your longevity depends on it do you want to move well when you're older do you want to be more athletic so instead of training muscles and uh to get bigger which will end at some point you're training athleticism to increase pain-free ranges of motion to increase and you can eventually put muscle on it okay mm -hmm. so um you'll get the best of both worlds but you got to come back a little bit to the beginning and relearn the patterns that you once had literally as a baby. We can get into that, you know, another time, but you're coming back to the pattern that you were designed with. Okay. So that's, that's what I would say there. All right. So in that case, next episode, Will and I are going to be covering some of those natural biomechanical patterns, what patterns you should be prioritizing in your training. If it isn't a hinge, if it isn't a squat or a lunge, if it isn't a press or a pull in those static positions that we normally train in these fixed plane of motions with a barbell with cable machines, we're gonna go over each one of those patterns and what we should prioritize learning. And, and, and I wanna say something, um, I've studied a lot of different systems, whether it be, you know, through traditional schooling, chiropractic, I was in, you know, kinesiology, did all that, um, WEC method, GOTA, functional patterns, FRC, I've 
I'm not certified in any of them, except for WEC method. I'm certified in the RMT ropes and stuff. But um, basically, I've dove into all of them, like extremely. And, you know, I, and I practice and I have my own practice to integrate those movements. So I have a lot of knowledge from different systems. So if you come from one of those systems, I'd love to dialogue with you, have, ask questions, debate. Or um, even if you're just looking into those systems, I have your answers or likely close to your answer. And that's, that's you know, like, like you said, looking at all these different systems, trying to find a grand unified theory of movement. That's the point of this podcast. That's the point of these discussions. And we don't want anything that we say to be viewed as gospel or movement. We're, what, well, at least I don't. I want this to be getting people to think about their movement and their training and their bodies in a different way, in a way that is outside of the box of the sagittal plane, outside of the box of conventional training, and to realize that function means more than just being able to move through a range of motion well, to be able to you know, lift barbells pain-free. Function means, functional training essentially means to be able to move the way your body was meant to move, and we're having these discussions to try and figure that out and make it as clear as possible. So. To everyone who listened live, thank you so much. We got Stephen Luker and we got Michelle in here who listened live. Thank you so much for tuning into the very first episode of the. Art have any any questions? Yeah, drop drop any questions that you have. If you like this episode, just let us know on the chat. Uh, feel free to knock if you want to have a little discussion with us here. Um, this podcast will be available on Spotify and other major podcasting streams. But as always, the best experience that you're going to get with the Art of Move, especially if we have other guests on here that you want to ask specific questions to, is to go on www.nofilter.net and uh, register for any upcoming live streams that we have. So we're going to leave the floor open for questions for a second, and then we'll wrap up. And I don't see uh, if you guys wanted to knock, if you guys wanted to sign in, if you had any questions, feel free to let us know. And uh, I just wanted to say with no filter, the, the great thing is, is we didn't do it this episode, but because uh, I had to switch computers, I had a bunch of uh, tape ready to roll. So you can uh, screen share and I can show you exactly what I'm talking about in slow motion as we go along. So that'll be available in the upcoming episodes. Tune in to no filter. It'll be the best experience, but you will still get a great experience with Spotify, Apple, and I think we'll probably we'll have clips too. If you if you are listening on Spotify or something, we'll uh, we can actually save the videos that we make on No Filter and we can edit them. So we'll probably have clips for reference on a YouTube channel on our Instagram, um, just so that we can if you if we ever do reference a video outside, you'll still be able to view the video externally, and we'll probably link to that later on in the episode. So. Uh, anyway, thanks to everyone who was listening to the first episode of The Art of Move. My name is Anthony Manuel. You were listening to me and Dr. Will Raybar from Banff, Alberta. We're pretty stoked to have done this. Very uh, cool. Michelle was saying no questions, but great info. Thanks. Thank you for thanks, tuning in, Michelle. It was super, super fun to do this. Will, I'm stoked for the next episode. We'll dive even deeper into the foundations of uh, basically human movement and how, what patterns people can prioritize to start building a better foundation of movement for their training. So thanks again, guys. Check out nofilter.net for the next episode, and we'll see you next time.